Let's get that radiator on. Yeah. Where my mittens at? Yo. Konnichiwa. From under a blanket of snow, we're cranking the flows. Giving thanks, hanging with those who wanna download something new for your eardrums. Weekend at Burgie's 31. Here comes another year, we're back with the beats bumping. Been super busy and we're just three months in. Marching in, put that trash in the garbage bin. Always spit fresh, never stop gargling. Gargamel, told you, it ain't hard to tell. APA in Japan, that was our hotel. Backburners in the building. New records coming soon so you can keep chilling. No millions, just take it day by day. Making new pals every stage I play. Okay, all right. I'll write okay, all day, all night, all night, all day was in Osaka, eating okonomiyaki. And if you're listening, uh, you know me probably, so props to you for plowing through the flurries and joining us for another weekend at Bergie's. Thank you for joining us. Arigato. I am SJ the Word Burglar, you can call me Bergie, we are at my place, we're ready to kickstart 2019, first episode of the year. We got it. We got a juicy one. Lots going on. I, I did just get back from Japan. Some of you may know. I, I took off there, did some shows. Gonna talk about that. Uh, got some listener uh, questions. We're gonna we're gonna answer. And plus, we got a special, a very very special guest. There's there's a lot to get into, and we are going to open it up and get into it, like Luke and Atantan. Does that sound warm? Does that sound cozy? Does that sound juicy? <laughs> it might stink a little, but it's going to stink good. It's going to be that good stink, not that tauntaun stink. <laughs> you know, you, you know Star Wars, right? Yeah, you know, you know, you're going to know. Stay tuned for May. Oh, I may have said too much. Wait, what? All right, keep it keep it moving. Keep it moving. What's going on? Let's uh let's get into some show. Announcements. Does, does that sound good? Let's announce. Gonna be heading out west shortly. I'm going to Seattle March 15th. If you happen to be around, that'd be amazing to see you at Crackle Fest 9 at the Hard Rock Cafe. Uh, Toronto, I will be back there April 18th at Junction City Music Hall with more or less. Love to see you there in the junction. That'd be dope. Winnipeg, I know I missed you on the tour in the fall, so I'm coming. I'm coming for you, Winnipeg. May 3rd and 4th, I'll be at the Prairie Comics Fest, and I'm going to be doing a show there as well that weekend. So stay tuned to wordburglar.com for info on that. And then Halifax, May 11th, I'll be there for Halifax Record Fair. And then Moncton, I know I missed Moncton on the tour, so I'm making sure I I remedy that, and I'll be there uh, May 15th and 16th. So it's going to be, uh, we're going to make amends there, okay? I'm sorry I didn't get to New Brunswick or Manitoba, but I, hey, I'm just one guy, and, uh, and we're doing the best we can. Uh, you may have heard, and if you did, it was accurate. My guest this episode is the infamous and elusive Ginzu in triplicate, a.k.a. Ginzu333, a.k.a. your boy Ginzu, elusive. The man is so elusive, I had to go all the way to Japan to sit down with him. And it was worth it. Uh, I'll explain to you how that came about very soon. Uh, if you don't know Ginsu, uh, well, he's one of the Backburner crew. You know, those of you who follow the Backburner crew activities, no doubt, have heard the name and heard his, his beats or his rhymes. Uh, he's actually one of the original Backburner members. He's a triple threat on the beats, turntables, and the mic. 
Uh, started out in the Sentinels. I met him back when I was in high school working at Strange Adventures in Halifax. And so we go back a ways. And honestly, it's a great, it's a great conversation. In Osaka, Japan, uh, we recorded live from the road. And that's, uh, that's going to be coming up. So look forward to that coming up in the second half of this podcast. Yeah. Speaking of the podcast that we're listening to and talking to you on now, um, a lot of people do ask, how can I support the podcast? Which, first of all, thank you, people. You are the best. So you are supporting it by sharing it, listening, and uh, subscribing. If you do want to go one step further, buying one of my albums or one of my fresh, awesome t-shirts is always appreciated. It really does go a long way. If you do want to buy, I have CDs, I have t-shirts, I got the new Rap Viper shirts, which are purple and like Mamba pilot colors, like Hydro Viper with the dope, that red uh, Cody Peters logo. We've got the Canadian tour shirts are back in stock. It's on a red Heather. That's also a, that awesome Cody Peters logo, kind of like that throwback comic book style. And then we've got the classic Dave Howlett, Mike Holmes, Word Burglar shirts in black and in green. And honestly, yeah, if you wanna, if you wanna grab albums or shirts, you know that goes a really long way to helping me make new awesome stuff faster and uh, I firmly believe in the stuff that I'm making and I wouldn't put out stuff that I think sucks so I, I do appreciate if you grab it so that's how you can support and if you want to share the videos you know people at at my shows people have been saying I, I haven't seen the rental patient video haven't seen the je ne care pas video they're out there they're on YouTube so you know if your friends haven't seen them I would it'd be awesome if you want to share so that's uh, that's my uh my promo ad for, for the episode. That That's it. So if you want any of the stuff, message me at wordberg at gmail.com. W-O-R-D-B-U-R-G at gmail. That's easy. Thanks. And what do you get in return for all that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Since last episode of Weekend at Bergies, some of you may have noticed that we did launch our cousin podcast, Do You Still Like This Movie? Yeah, it's already three episodes deep. We got number four coming on March 13th, and it's a really fun podcast. Would you like me to tell you about it? Essentially, Do You Still Like This Movie is the podcast where I have friends come over, we watch a movie that they used to like, and then we find out if they still like it. It's pretty simple. It's really fun. And I think it's pretty funny, too. So there's three episodes up right now. We check out... Uh, the Ewok Adventure Caravan of Courage with Peter Project, a.k.a. Coins. We've got my friend Dakshana comes on and we watch the Babysitter's Club movie, which I had never seen. And Sean Hatton, who you know, friend of the podcast, he comes on and we watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original movie, and find out uh, if he still likes that one. They're really fun. And episode four will be dropping very soon. March 13th is our release date. And that stars a little guy called Jesse Dangerously, who you may know from this podcast and other places. So stay tuned for that. Do you still like this movie? Uh, it's easy to find. Just uh, use whatever podcast app you're currently using. You know, you subscribe there and, and you do your podcast, you think. Right? Okay. So, yeah, just type in Word Burglar. Do you still like this movie? You will find it. But that's not all. <laughs> I'm right now literally taking a break. Because I'm making this podcast. 
But right now, when I'm done the podcast, I'm going right back to work on a top secret mini EP for you. Featuring three new jams, and I can officially announce that it will be dropping the first week of May. And if that goes as planned, uh, and millions of you can share it, then I uh, can hopefully get out a brand new full-length project as early as August, which I'm working really, really hard to make happen. So you may have heard some whispers. You may have heard some hearsay. So that's what's going on. So stay stay tuned. May, there's going to be a little, little mini EP for you. All right? Um, and then speaking of new music, we're not done yet. Black Buffalo and I are continuing to release limited edition vinyl singles. And they just opened up pre-orders for our next one, which features Damage Control, produced by Beat Mason, off Rhyme Your Business, which I know you already have that album, but if you don't, definitely go get Rhyme Your Business. And it's got guest raps from Esoteric on it, of Zarface, who just dropped a new record with Ghostface Killer from Wu-Tang. It's, that's awesome that Esso's just killing it, just crushing it with 7L and Inspected Deck. All the Zarface records, I'm sure you know. They're dope. And he had, he had uh, you know, he took the time to come over and then do a little rap with me. So Damage Control is on one side. And then the other side features a brand new remix of Space Defense Team featuring Cool Keith and Mega Ran. And it's produced by the one and only Bix. And both tracks have cuts by a friend of the show, Backburner crew member, Uncle Fester. Um, and this, uh, let me just tell you about this remix by Bix. Like, Bix and I haven't had a chance to work together since Welcome to Cobra Island. He did the first track on that record with me. And obviously, it was an honor to just collab with him again. We go way, way back. You can check him out on Spotify. He's been making a ton of new beats under the moniker IntJ, I-N-T-J-A-Y. Uh, also, did I mention Esoteric and Cool Keith and Mega Ran? Plus Word Burglar. And that's not all. All new artwork from Dave Howlett and Eric Kim. So it's like a double, you know when you get those comic books with the variant covers, and or maybe it's like a flip cover. Yeah, this is, you get two amazing pieces of brand new art for the price of one. I mean, the art alone is just worth the price of admission. And then you're getting crazy hot tracks. And we've shared the art online. I feel like I'm super selling stuff to you right off the top of this podcast. I'm, but I gave, I, hey, this is, there you go. That's why I'm doing the podcast. It's promo. <laughs> Surprise, I'm I'm keeping the brand going. That's what they say. No, you know, I love doing this. I love yapping. We got a lot of good content uh, every episode. I haven't really even gotten into Japan yet. So this, the, the art is online. You can check it out. And if you want to get the record, which I highly recommend because they're limited edition, just visit blackbuffalorecords.ca immediately. And because I love you, right now, I'm going to debut that Bix remix. Here, we're going to give you a little sample of that. And uh, and then I'm going to come right back and tell you all about the crazy adventures I had in Japan. So, Weekend in Burgies, 31. First one, 2019. Let's check it out. The Bix remix, Space Defense Team. Featuring Cool Keith and Mega Ran. Situation snafu, alien race and kidnap my rap crew. To get them back, I got permission to do what I have to. The gear is 2300, I hunt kaiju who don't want to be hunted and stick long swords in their stomach. I'm a road beast, roll deep on your street at a slow creep. 
oppose me, the intergalactic champ, brandishing weapons through a narrow spectrum. All of my recon is dead, I reckon we all in, and I was crest fallen, but what happened in New New Orleans? A foreign alien ordinance is coming for it, and they say they gon' drop the bomb. Looks like a job for Mega Ran and Dr. Octagon. Dr. Reppin', use any weapon, catch a space chick pregnant. My Nassau flight, aerodynamic adventure, ultra mass spectacular. Giant aliens destroying monsters like lobsters, the colossal region. I'm on the ship on the weekend, asteroids glide. She show a cleavage, I'm scooping the galaxy maneuver. Jackie, I'm Stuart, rolling through the black hole, influent, with influence. Woke up from cryo sleep in a somnambulator, exposed to gamma rays, may grow antlers later. Horny in space, huh? Business as usual, used to play last starfighter at my cubicle. Before getting assigned to my team at 19, now the finest machines are intertwined with my genes. I combine my mind to read alien thought patterns, which comes in handy if you don't want your spots splattered. But I'd rather star travel the heavenly clusters with space cougars like Beverly crusher so if the other crew start asking where are they tell them the captain's log had a star date huh. alien raiders did not defense down guess we're the last line of defense now scanners is tweaking because it's intense now tell them to give it up but get it down There it is, exclusive, and you can't tell me it doesn't even sound better on vinyl, because it does. Oh, wow. Nice, warm wax on your turntable. BlackBuffaloRecords.ca, you can grab that. Brand new. 
Yeah. So Japan, where where can I even begin? You know, there's so much to get into. Let's uh, let's try and dive right in. Uh, I'm gonna start with a little song I wrote for my pal Nowlin. It goes a little something like this: When I go to family mart, I get some juice. <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever been in a family mart in Japan, that tune may sound familiar. Uh, I just wrote the lyrics uh, to the theme song to the entrance chime of Family Mart, which is one of the many, many, many convenies, which are the convenience stores that are all over Japan. And I, I wound up spending a lot of time in these convenies because you can get really good, like, freshly squeezed juice and really tasty coffee and good sandwiches and stuff. Like, the quality of all the food across Japan is just all, it's it's uh, it's all on board, it's all on point. Everything, everything you heard checks out, it's it's true. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that little chime, I, I, it's stuck in my brain forever. And uh, I really do miss Family Mart already. Uh, among the many other places. Now, Nowlin is one of my oldest friends. He's just the best, awesomest guy, uh, and one of the tallest guys I know, <laughs> uh, and just a, an old friend. We've we've known each other since we were five, and he lives in Osaka, and his wife, Miyari, uh, the two of them welcome Mili, Sashimi, and I in Japan. They, they were the first people we met when we were there. Nowlin met us at the airport. Took us everywhere. We had some crazy adventures, which I will certainly never forget. So thank you, Nowlin and Miyari, for everything. It was it was phenomenal. We had okonomiyaki, which are these savory Japanese pancakes. Lots of lots of great food, uh, of course. But the one thing people didn't tell me about the food in Japan was how good the fake food game is um <laughs> like every restaurant has plastic food outside well just about every restaurant and they're like plastic versions of sushi or ramen uh, of all the foods that you can get in that restaurant um but then it starts to get really crazy because then you'll see something like uh like a, a pizza with watermelon on it or a hot dog bun with spaghetti in it <laughs> and, and and it's a plastic representation like if I'm sure there's people there who collect the plastic foods. The The other big fake food there were the fake grapes. They're these candy grapes that you can find at, at, at every family mart uh, or 7-Eleven uh, or wherever you are. And it's crazy because they're a candy grape, but they have the taste and texture, even like the skin of a real grape, but it's, it's all candy. It's even got that little weird like grape, you know, the little grape like butt thing like when you pluck a grape that's that's on there too because japan and they they think of everything really all the food i had was amazing there uh the coffee people told me i might not be able to find good coffee i found coffee everywhere it was all good except for one one place which was surprising uh, i went to the square enix cafe if you know square square is squaresoft they uh they make all the video games final fantasy chrono trigger octopath traveler etc etc you know all the all those awesome rpgs they have their own cafe and being a lifetime squaresoft fan i had to go check it out so i go in and you know what it wasn't that exciting um the people there weren't really enthusiastic. 
I saw no Secret of Mana or Chrono Trigger stuff anywhere, and they just kept trying to sell me on Dragon Warrior Builders, which is the new Dragon Warrior thing. Yeah, not that cool. It, it was not that good. So, uh, yeah. Final Fantasy Cafe? More like Final Chance You'll See Me, eh? At your place? <laughs> <laughs> but while I'm talking about video games, if I may, I have to tell you about Super Potato. This place is, no exaggeration, it's, it's video game heaven. It's like part museum, part just paradise shopping center for retro games dating all the way back like way beyond games that we ever got in North America in terms of like Nintendo games. I mean, like, like Japan is the birthplace of Nintendo, obviously. And they've got Super Potato is wall-to-wall packed with retro games, Famicom, Super Famicom, Mega Drive, you name it, Neo Geo. It, it's out of control. Um, now, Famicom, in case you don't know, is the Japanese Nintendo. So that was the 8-bit Nintendo that we got in North America. It was originally called the Famicom, which is Family Computer. And that predated our Nintendo by a couple years. So there's a ton of games that we never even saw. Because by the time Nintendo came to North America, they were sort of picking and choosing what games would be good for North American audiences and uh, UK audiences, etc. So Famicom has a whole library of stuff that it, it, we've never seen. Uh, I remember as a kid, I first played Super Mario Brothers 3, the Japanese version, because we rented it at Johnson Video, Santa's Circle, Scarborough. You may have heard me mention it on Rental Patient. But that they used to get the Famicom games, and you could rent them there, and they had a little converter so that it would play in the North American Nintendo. Um, so Super Mario 3, I, I remember vividly playing it. I was like, what is this weird cartridge? Like, why? Why are all the words in Japanese? But it, it, we played it like five or six months before it ever came to North America. That was cool. So I've always kind of had this, this connection to Famicom. But I have never walked into a store where I have seen walls of Famicom games and and Super Famicom games. There's stuff like Mother, which never came out in North America. That's essentially Earthbound 1. And The Secret of Mana 2, which we never got, but in Japan it's called Second Densensu 3 because it was actually the third in the series. The original came out uh, in uh, America as Final Fantasy Adventure on Game Boy. Actually, Nowlin, I think you had that game, if you're still listening. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I had to buy a second Densensu 3, and I now have, because I've got a retro console that actually plays Super Famicom games. I wasn't sure if it would play them, but it does play them. So word up, Patrick. I know you were giving me some tips. Shout out, Burgerfinger. Um, I was looking for games. Uh, Burgerfinger gave me a list of games to, to hunt down for him. And uh, and so I go to the guy at Super Potato. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm looking for this. And it was like King of Demons. And the guy's eyes lit up. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. So he brings me to this display case in the back of Super Potato, and it was all, like, high-end, old-school games. And I think he thought I was, like, some ballin' dude, like, oh, this guy, he, he wants, like, the top-notch stuff. Because then he shows me the game, and it was, like, 70,000 yen, which is 700 bucks. And, uh, look, Burger Finger, dude, you know I love you, but I just, I couldn't 
drop 700 bucks on a Super Famicom game for you, homie. Um, you know, no, you know it's cool. There's a repro of that one, though, so we can hunt that down. But the um, the games there are just, it's out of control. And I, I did take some video in there. We've got some footage that's going to be coming out. I got a little J Japan video that uh, we're cutting together and should hopefully have up soon. So Super Potato, if you ever go to Japan, must. There's three. There's a couple in Osaka. There's at least one in Tokyo in Akihabara, which is just like, it's nerd town. It's, it's otaku town. There's video games and action figures and just towers, malls stacked upon each other, just filled with action figures. Um, I, I kind of got into Kamen Rider when I was there. If you know Kamen Rider, it's basically like an insect ninja Power Ranger guy on a motorcycle. And it's been running in Japan for years. There was a brief version that I was kind of aware of that came out. Um, I remember watching it in Canada years ago called Masked Rider, but it kind of sucked. Um, but it's been around in Japan forever, so it's like Spider-Man. There's all these different iterations of it, so it's got a really broad, long history and a lot of fans. And the current iteration of it, has it, they all look awesome. And the action figures, like I found a ton of the figures dirt cheap. They were like three to five bucks each. And they're like the G.I. Joe scale ones, like like about three and three quarter. And uh, they're kind of awesome. And then I found a motorcycle at a 7-Eleven because uh, they have cool toys there. And uh, so, yeah, I've got a pretty sweet common rider I'm looking at right now riding a motorcycle. And it, it all in all, the whole thing was like six bucks. So, yeah, common rider. Dope, dope, dope stuff. You really can't escape. Like, you get on the subway and you're seeing anime and comic books, manga, all kinds of cool stuff. Astro Boy, Gundam, Robotech, everything. And for a guy like me who grew up loving like Macross and and different animes and manga and stuff like that, like it's it's just really cool to be uh, somewhere where like the birthplace of all this stuff. And Nintendo, of course. Sega, there's giant arcades everywhere. Sega, Taito, like you walk in and it's just, you get in an elevator and you just push the button you want to go to. Oh, I guess I'll go to the Sega floor. I guess I'll go to the claw machine floor. I guess I'll go to the pachinko game floor, which is kind of sketchy. It's like this, like gambling is illegal in Japan. And they, so they play this game called pachinko and these pachinko places are everywhere. And it's like these balls and you gamble with balls and then you trade the balls in for like anime statues or weird things uh it's it's an interesting uh it's a whole other scene and i'm not i, I didn't really spend much time there i did get to do two shows in japan that was sort of the main impetus for going there and they were amazing the first show I did was in Kobe, which was a mostly Japanese audience, and it was a real it was a real challenge, but it was a great challenge for me because obviously there's a language barrier. I, if I start dropping references to like Unicron or some like 80s sitcom, it, it may go over their heads. Well, Unicron they might get, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, who's the boss uh, may not may not fly there. So I, I really had to figure out ways to improvise with the crowd, uh, which, you know, I love to freestyle and improvise, and it, it was great to see what they connected on. So, you know, people would say hello, they say konnichiwa, and, and I said, oh, hey, how you doing? And then one guy in the crowd repeated it back to me, he said, hey, how you doing? And then I said, yeah, hey, how you doing? And then the rest of the crowd started saying, 
hey, how you doing? So that just became a hook, and it was like, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Konnichiwa. Hey, hey, how you doing? And that and that was really fun to just sort of bring them in and then freestyle based on what they could sort of understand. Because again, if I if I start diving deep into um, you know rap references or something, some weird metaphors, it, it you'd lose them. So that was really it was a, an incredible experience for me. Shout out to my man Ginzu, who we are going to be chatting with soon. And he uh, he DJed for me. He helped hook up the show. The connections there. I mean, Kobe was just phenomenal time. So thank you to anyone who may be listening who made it out to that show. The Osaka show was equally awesome. Now this one was different because it was mostly English speaking people there. A lot of expats, Canadians, Americans, Brits, Australians. They're actually people from France, so they were getting some some of the French lines. Um, so I played at Slices, which is a pizza place um, right in, in Osaka, in, in Namba, like right in kind of the main uh, action district. <laughs> and it was cool. The, uh, the owner uh, was actually from Mississauga, had been in Japan for a long time. I got to meet people who had been living in Japan for like 20 years, and they just wanted to talk to me about like Tim Hortons and stuff like that. So that was really, that was a, a great show. Um, we did take some footage from that, so I will be getting that up online. Both shows, it was just, to be able to play in Japan, I'm, I'm so thankful. Uh, and so again, big shouts. Shouts to Ginsu, shouts to Nowen, shouts to Mili who came with me. She was so supportive and took a lot of awesome videos and, and footage. Um, we actually had some fun. We went into Tower Records in Japan, in Tokyo. Now, that's a big thing that, uh, in Japan as well. CDs are still huge there, right? They're, they're, everyone's still buying CDs. Vinyl's big. Um, so Tower Records is just rammed. It's like floors. The one we went in was about eight floors, and every floor was huge for J-pop or hip-hop or rock, whatever, soundtracks. And uh, so I actually uh, we shot a little video, and I, I went to check out and see any Canadian hip-hop in there. Um, they had Swollen Members, I saw, and Drake, but they didn't have Word Burglar. So uh, let's just say I made sure I didn't leave Tower Records without leaving a little Word Burglar in there. So uh, if you find yourself in uh, Tower Records Tokyo, you might find a, a Word Burglar record hidden away. <laughs> the uh, And then I went to HMV as well in Tokyo. The HMV, it was all vinyl uh, and like maybe like it had a small section for CDs, but a giant floor just filled with vinyl. A lot of, lot of dope hip hop records, like just old school, like they had, like their, their rap tastes are really, really good. Because <laughs> I found a ton of records from like 88 to like 2002. They had Company Flow, they had Showbiz and AG. I found like the Nas records, Eric B and Rakim, Master Ace, Public Enemy, like just really, really good stuff. And the vinyl was all in amazing condition. Um, so that was that was really fresh to find a lot of good hip hop there. And you could you could you know the Japanese know what's good. They know what's up. And they, they got great taste. Uh, I cannot wait to get back there. If you have never been to Japan, like this was, it was a dream of mine to get there for years. And I've been kind of putting it off and trying to figure it out. Uh, the stars did align. I was able to hook up the shows there. We got a really cheap airfare. 
if, if you want to go, honestly, just go. Everything you've heard is, is true. It's so fun. And it honestly, it wasn't that expensive. Like, I, I don't have a lot of money to be to be blowing on stuff. You know, yeah, I bought a Super Famicom game. I bought a Common Rider action figure. A lot of fake grapes. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was so worth it. And uh, you, you, you do really have to go. One last thing that was was really fun. So we did we did Tokyo, we did Osaka, Kobe, Kyoto, Hiroshima, which was Hiroshima was just an unbelievably sobering experience. There, obviously, the museum there, it's um, it's it's incredibly powerful. You can't leave you can't leave that museum without being affected. And uh, but Hiroshima is just a beautiful, beautiful city, and the people there are just so positive. And most, pretty much everywhere we went in Japan, the people were very positive. Everything is like very logical. Um, but Hiroshima, it was beautiful. We went to Miyajima Island and met all these like live, well, obviously live deer. <laughs> and the deer just come up to you and uh, they had great oysters there. I'm just trying to recap everything because it was just, I'm gonna forget so much stuff here. Um, but yeah, Kyoto, one night we went, so we, we walked around Kyoto, beautiful, we went into the mountains, we went to the Toji Pagoda, which is this beautiful historic pagoda, we went um, just to a great sushi place, and we're walking downtown one night, and it's, it's just Mealy and I, we're kind of wandering around, we thought, hey, let's, uh, let's just go somewhere, maybe grab a drink. We're walking down the street. Most places are kind of dark and, and dimly lit uh, on these side streets. And we walk by one place, and there's a sign. And, and then the sign outside, there's tons of stuff with tons of writing. And it's all Japanese, except for the words Marvel DC. So, Mealy and I look at each other, and I just say, look, okay, we got to go in. It, it, the only English on here is Marvel DC. It looks like it could be a bar. I'm not sure what's going on in there. Let's check it out. So we wander in. And there's three people sitting in the back. Uh, this place basically looks like your Japanese friend's brother's basement apartment with a table and a bar set up in the back. <laughs> uh, there's like DVDs and PlayStation games everywhere. He had like a PlayStation VR helmet set up next to this computer station. Um, so we walk in and, and, and the bartender seems a, a bit confused as to why we're walking into a bar because why would we do that? And I say, uh, yeah, uh, Marvel DC? And he goes, ah! Runs to the back, comes back out with a giant Spider-Man Venom statue, puts it down on the table, and he goes, Marvel DC? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's that's okay. That's That's Marvel DC. So we sit down. He brings us Japanese peach beer, uh, which was, it was okay. And uh, and then we just start geeking out. Like he spoke very little English, but I started bonding with him over, uh, and he had these anime posters up and, and some video game stuff. And um, I was talking about like Famicom games and, and I mentioned Doki Doki Panic. And he goes, Doki Doki Panic? He couldn't believe I knew Doki Doki Panic. Now the two other guys who were there with him, they were a bit younger, they didn't know what Doki Doki Panic. If you don't know what Doki Doki Panic is, it was actually the Famicom game that got reskinned as Super Mario 2 in North America because uh, the Japanese thought that the uh, the Japanese Super Mario 2 would be too hard for North American audiences. So we got the Doki Doki Panic 
which is the one where Mario is, is you know, pulling out the vegetables and throwing rutabagas at people and stuff. <laughs> which I actually love. It may actually be my favorite Mario game. Um, Mario 2 is, is super fun. So Doki Doki Panic, we're, we're hanging out in there. We're, we're kind of enjoying this, this beer and the conversation. And then this new group of people walk in and the bartender's kind of surprised again. And the guy who walks in uh, the front looks at me and goes, yeah, hey man, uh, we saw your Blue Jays hat and wanted to come in. We're from Canada. So there were these other Canadians who just looked in, saw a Toronto Blue Jays hat and said, okay, we'll, we'll come in here. And, and so that was cool. We got to meet a bunch of Canadians. They were from Vancouver. And then uh, we wound up drinking all the peach beer this guy had. So he sent his people out around the corner, probably to Family Mart. <laughs> And they came back with a whole bunch of, of new beer, like some really good like IPAs and, and other flavors of beer. And uh, so we hung out with the Canadians and drank this beer from Family Mart with our new friends uh, in this nerdy little spot in Kyoto. And I, so I'm, I kept geeking out with these guys and they were like amazed that Ninja Scroll, of all things, was popular in, in North America because um, that was an old anime. But uh, if you know a little bit about anime or manga or video games, you can pretty much get by anywhere in Japan. That's what I learned. And we just had a really fun, surprising night in Kyoto. So I wound up calling it Kyoto's number one otaku bar, and which means nerdy, geeky, and, uh, and they, they liked that. So that was fun. All in all, Japan, that's the Japan report. Gonna play one more jam, and uh, and then we've got a few uh, listener questions that I'm gonna address, and then we got Ginsu coming up. So it's another action-packed episode rolling right along. Go to Japan. Story. 
my pals adore me when I'm giving them emotional support. But the pages for commotion is short, so I'm closing the door. And God knows to keep my windows shut. The time for testing me is over. Put your pencils up. I'd rather throw a tag on my toe than see your stencils up. Shut out tomorrow, Wilson, though. You really blew my mentions up. There's no defending what I've done or what I'll do. Next, a new treach was talking to me, so I keep it crew. Neck, neck, no sweat. I got my blue check. I'm all set to keep it true to being beautiful. It's beautiful and useless. I used to have to pry boards off condemned buildings to see characters painted by an enigmatic outlaw. And 20 years later, he's my best friend. Jesse D. Yeah? I would join the cult for you. Uh-huh. Grab a hold the tail of any hail bop and stop a woman. Fill the crap with helium and hope that it's unpopable. <gasps> Loved one, strung along the clothes horse hops. Yeah. Around here, yeah. I'm a bit of an individual. Uh-huh. Living with individual yeah. from a visual uh-huh. sigil. Uh-huh. Like the fat signal skybound, blasted out in clouds. Yeah. Temporary, mysterious, and oh so proud. Yeah. Come see, come saw, I'm saying so, so loud. Shouts to Troy for putting down an L dot town boy. Where every MC has to prove the stuff is not just stuffing, cause you won't get away with with the fancy way you say nothing. We're to my cousin Bustin' B for keeping me in edible manacles. Let the words flow free. Unfortunately, we may see how they pick it up when it's sold and distributed legally. Around here, around here. South Opius, H-W-U, North and Imaginary. Around here, when the biggity backburners surround the mic to ill a style of speak will occur. Around here, Rich, Troy, Jeff, Jeff, Sean, Sean. Kill, Stim, Timmy, Jerry, Jacob, Son. Around here, That was, of course, The Library Steps. Friends of the show, Ambies, Jesse Dangerously, Thesis Sahib. You need that album if you haven't heard it yet. One of my favorites from last year. All right, let's get into some of these listener questions uh, right before we get to Ginzu. Um, got a few here. Uh, Tony M., great to hear from you, Tony, with a couple questions. First, you, Tony asked if I want would rather see gargoyles or thundercats in a live action movie and tony you must know me because <laughs> that's a that's a hard question thundercats let's just look at this real quick what would what would translate better to a live action screen i think thundercats would be really interesting with uh obviously the either one's going to you're going to need a lot of cgi um, Thundercats, you've got a different planet, so they'd really have to create a whole other type of world and scenery, which I would love, but I'm kind of afraid that, uh, they may not invest the, uh, the time in it. Um, and they may do something stupid like bring the Thundercats to, to Earth instead of Third Earth, which is their Earth. Um, Gargoyles, of course, takes place on Earth. It is a uh, Disney property, and they've got all the money to make the b- craziest movies. Uh, and it's a good plot. I think you could pull off the Gargoyles plot in two hours. I, I worry that maybe Thundercats uh, w- 
Thundercats would work better as a really good ongoing TV series, I think, if they could get uh, a high budget like Game of Thrones style. I'd, I'd, I'd enjoy Game of Thrones style Thundercats. And uh, so in terms of a live action movie, I, I think Gargoyles is, is where I got to go. Obviously, both would be cool. And we live in a time and age where these movies are increasingly likely to happen. So I'm actually surprised we haven't gotten a really good Gargoyles one yet. Um, great, great question, Tony. Uh, also, Tony also asked thoughts on the possible Hasbro Cinematic Universe movies and how would you personally set it up if you were in charge? Seeing G.I. Joe Transformers and Mask all in one movie would be crazy. That would be crazy. It may be almost too much to handle. I think the best way for me, I think, to get all those things into one, you'd have to set it in the 80s. I, I, to this day, I, I still feel they should have done those G.I. Joe movies set in the 80s where you can be a little crazier, you can have lasers, you can have uh, wild 80s outfits. Um, fitting Mask into that, I think uh, the IDW comics, I know they've tried to interweave all those universes, and I'm not sure if Mask are basing their cars on Cybertronian technology, but that seems like that could be kind of a no-brainer tie-in, and maybe the Mask team are a division of G.I. Joe, kind of like Eco Warriors or uh, Ninja Force or something. <laughs> They've got the Mask Force. Um, I, could, I, I could see that working. Uh, personally, I would just rather they keep them all separate and make really good movies of all three of them, because in my opinion, other than the cartoons, we still haven't gotten that for any of those um but yeah fun fun to think about like it would be it would be very cool um okay alex what's up dude uh alex my homie alex kennedy uh who we had on last episode and you're asking a question now dude it's good to hear from you gonna see you uh in seattle looking forward to that um when selecting beats for a new record what do you look for you give guidance to your collaborators on what you need from them. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, you know, it's, it's really kind of 50-50. Sometimes uh, producers and collaborators will just send me beats and say, hey, I, I think this beat sounded uh, like a Word Burglar kind of beat. I, I'd love to hear you on it. And then um, the other half of the time, uh, you know, I'll find samples, I'll talk to producers, we'll collaborate together, maybe I'll suggest like a, a kind of vibe that I'm looking for. Uh, I might play a similar style of beat and say, hey, you know, maybe something along these lines or, you know, I like strings like this or piano like this or horns like that. Um, so yeah, it, it really is a 50-50 thing. But uh, whichever way uh, I'm going, whenever I'm working with a with a different collaborator, I love to I love all the back and forth, and I love uh, you know it's always awesome when uh, a producer shows me a beat that is just like crazy and and thinks it might be good for me, and I'm like yeah that I think so too. So that's always that's always good. Um, and then you know I'm always digging for samples. I'm always hunting for new uh new beats and stuff like that so um yeah so re that really is kind of a 50 50 thing uh matt matt labat what's up dude digging in japan what did you see is the question uh i kind of mentioned it a little bit in that in the previous section on this podcast um i was digging a lot obviously you know records are there were a lot 
of expensive records there. So I wasn't about to drop a lot of crazy money, but uh, as I mentioned, there were a lot of really cool 90s records there. Um, I, sh I shared a video and uh, like the Cunning Linguist record I found, it was like going for about a hundred bucks, which was seemed a little, a little steep for me. Um, a lot of old 80s records, uh, Cool Modee, LL Cool J. I saw uh, like Crooklyn, uh, Crooklyn Dodgers from the 90s, just that just sort of popped out to me when I walked into a store and I just kind of saw it up on the wall. Um, you know what? A lot of 90s stuff, a lot of the, the hip-hop sections looked a lot like going to a record store in, in Toronto or New York. Um, like, there, were, there was a lot of cool stuff. A lot of cool Japanese records, stuff I didn't know uh, how to pronounce. <laughs> But if, if you're digging for records, Japan, you could you could just spend forever there, and um, and it could get really expensive too. But but vinyl is alive and well there. A lot of cool cassettes too. I saw like an Egyptian Lover cassette, which seemed very bizarre because I don't think I've ever seen that cassette um, here. Um, weird. <laughs> uh, Sean M asks. Do you ever write lyrics before hearing the beats, or do you always write after hearing them? Uh, yeah, uh, both. Um, usually, like, I write every day. So I'll be writing rhymes. Rhymes just pop into my head when I'm on the bus or walking down the street listening to my headphones. Anytime a rhyme pops into my head, I try and write it down immediately, or I just repeat it to myself in my brain as much as I can until I can find a piece of paper <laughs> to write it down. So I am always writing. Um, uh, obviously, yeah. When I when I hear beats, I will write to the beat, and uh, but yeah, I'm just I'm kind of writing all the time, beats or no beats. And then when I select the beat that I want to use, that's when I'll really sit down and uh, work on the rhymes and craft them and fill them in and edit them to fit within whatever that BPM or or whatever the beat is. Um, you know, obviously every beat's got its own little intricacies. And uh, so sometimes that'll mean I'll extend a line, or sometimes it'll mean I'll have to sort of chop it down and say less words in a verse. Um, so that really, it really does depend. But as long as I can keep the, the heart of the rhyme there, um, that's, I mean, that's been a challenge, like constantly as I, you know, keep writing rhymes and evolve over the years, learning how to to basically stretch out your lines and shorten them down. So um, a, a lot of editing and a lot of uh, a lot of crafting goes into goes into tracks because you, you'll hear rhymes that won't fit on certain beats. Um, so then that's you've always got to do those adjustments because um, if it's a beat I love and I've written something already that I really think the beat suits the sentiment of the the rhyme that I've written, then that's when when that stuff comes into play. Uh, so I hope that kind of answers your question. Um, Clayton, what's up? Yeah, a deeper dive into the creative process would be awesome. Uh, yeah, well, I hope that was a bit of a, a deeper dive into the creative process. Um, I've got, I kind of always have like five to ten songs on the go in my brain, and uh, I actually have a whole like notepad filled with song concepts and starts of songs and rhymes that I want to expand upon um, and it just sort of you know every day depending what mood I'm in or what I'm working on and what what concept is sort of speaking to me at the time that's what I'll start working on 
Um, and, you know, sometimes I'll have stuff written from, like, years ago that still hasn't been recorded, and then I'll hear a beat, and I'm like, oh, wow, I think I actually have a rhyme that would suit this beat perfectly, and then that comes together. So, um, like, there are things like Rental Patient I mentioned before. I had started writing that maybe around the time, like, I had the idea uh, around replicable skills, and then just sort of was writing notes here and there, and then slowly it was all coming together, and I was writing more, and it, it was it was sitting around, and then uh, Beat Mason showed me that beat, which became the beat for Rental Patient, and I thought, oh, this is this is the one for Rental Patient, and then it just it came from there, and then I crafted the lyrics that I had already started and started building them around that new beat. So that's just a little bit uh, of of how I, I go about making jams and, and, you know, having fun with the rhymes. Uh, all right, Robert C., what's up, dude? Aside from any Backburner artist, what are you listening to? Top favorite three artists that inspire you? Um, okay, so that's, I'm going to take that as two questions. Right now, I'm just pulling up what my playlist is on my phone. Uh, what I'm listening to right now, Small Professor, 86 Witness, which is, uh, New record, Small Professor is a really dope producer. Definitely check it out. The record's got um, Sean Price on it, uh, DJ Revolution, Rock Nest Monster, um, and just, like yeah, the beats are really good. So Small Professor, 86 Witness, that's a really dope record. Uh, Zarface and Ghostface Killer, which just dropped. I mentioned that a little earlier on the uh, on the podcast. That's a, that's a Wicked album. Yeah, I'm sure you guys all know Zarface by now. Uh, that just dropped as of this recording. And, uh, oh yeah, I've just been bumping the people under the stairs. Sincerely the P, which is apparently going to be the last people under the stairs album. If you're, if you're a hip-hop head, you probably know people under the stairs. So many classic beats over the years and, uh, and just great great vibes like always love a, a P-U-T-S album so uh, so that's been really good now to answer the second part of your question top favorite three artists that inspire you that's always so hard I mean I always go back to Master Ace because when I was a kid I always loved Master Ace and uh, just over the years he's just been such an incredible rhyme writer and storyteller and I always love the beats he chooses and the perspectives he has on on the world and life um, when he when he creates his his songs um, yeah Master Ace is always going to be an inspiration uh, Nas of course is you know it's easy to pick Nas but also there's a reason because um, Nas, Nas is dope and has always been dope, you know. A couple records here and there might have uh, might have fallen off a bit, but I'll always I'll always love Nas. You know, I love that that New York sound. Um, and then third choice is always so hard. It's so hard to pick. Um, I'm gonna pick pick a producer because Prince Paul Prince Paul beats always always inspire me. Um, I love listening to uh, to old Prince Paul, new Prince Paul. Uh, any Prince Paul. So, uh, yeah, there you, there you go. Master Ace, Nas, and Prince Paul. All New York. So, uh, there you go. Shout out, Robert. Um, all right, cool. So, I hope that answers your questions. I always am happy to uh, to respond. If you guys ever have any questions, you can ask on the Facebook page. It's just facebook.com slash wordburglar. Or uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm not on all the time, but you can find me there at wordburglar. And on Instagram, at the wordburglar. 
um, and uh, and you can find find me and uh, and we can uh, we can connect there. Okay, so let's let's get to this. You've been waiting. You've all been waiting patiently. You've been hearing me yapping. Uh, so Ginsu, Ginsu three three three, Ginsu and Triplicate. Your boy Ginsu. Him and I go way back. We met up in Japan. Did a, did the shows together. This interview happened. Uh, we wandered around Osaka. Ginsu knew of a studio that we could record at, and this is cool. It's it's, um, it's actually one of those studios where a lot of like the Japanese rock bands will record at, and you go in and you rent studios by the hour. So we went in there, and what was kind of weird was we had basically a strict hour that we had to get in. That's all. Then then someone else was coming in, so we had to get in, get the interview done, and get out within an hour. And we we couldn't. Like, I usually would record on a laptop or maybe you've got, like, uh, you know, your computer set up. No. They gave us a CD, and we had to record on a blank CD in an actual, like, CD recording CD player (laughs) in the studio. And we actually didn't really have monitors or anything, so we had to trust that the guy running the studio had set this thing up properly. So not only did we uh, have this strict time limit to get the interview done, but we also weren't quite sure um, if the recording was going well. He gave us a thumbs up, and he was a very trustworthy fella. So so shout out the guy at uh, at the studio in Osaka. Um, but it, it was awesome. Troy and I went ventured deep into uh, downtown Osaka to to make this interview happen. And again, we didn't know how much time was actually on the CD either. So we didn't know if the CD was going to cut out at any time. So you may hear in the interview that we were just, you know, I'm trying to just propel it a little bit just to make sure we can, uh, we get in our time. But uh, I'm happy to report it turned out really, really dope. Um, You can definitely hear like the open room that we're in, but I think that adds just uh, a nice little dynamic to the interview. And, uh, And it was a total pleasure. So Ginsu, thanks again for taking the time. To show me around. We had an awesome interview, and I think you guys are going to get a lot out of this uh, and get some insight into an old friend of mine and an incredible artist. So here we go. Ginsu in triplicate, live in Osaka. Recording live now from Studio Four Six Eight Osaka. Two Four Six Osaka. Two Four Six Osaka. It's all late rock to comes to die, baby. <laughs> Studio Two Four Six Number Osaka. I love that we're in room number three with ST after it. Studio Thirst, baby. Studio Thirst, getting thirsty with my man, my longtime brother from Nova Scotia in Osaka now. Ginsu and Triplicate. My dude. AKA Ginsu Three. Ginsu Three Three Three. Just Ginsu 333, baby. How, how would you introduce yourself if someone said, what's your rap name? What are you, who are you? Oh, man. You, you say you Ginsu know, and Triplicate? These days, I usually just say your boy Ginsu. Yeah. The whole numbers thing has been kind of hard to explain to people over the years. It was originally Ginsu 3, uh, and then it became Ginsu and Triplicate because the name is supposed to have this kind of like rhythmic sound to it, right? So you could really, you know, I'm Ginsu and Triplicate. Take the script and flip with it, like roll shit off your tongue yeah, like that yeah, with man. it. That's super scientific. And then, yeah. 1997 <laughs> styles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean, right? You know what I mean. Yeah, man. So, uh, yeah, I, I went from Ginzu 3 to Ginzu and Triplicate, which is a name that like nobody could pronounce. And then for a while, I was just doing Ginzu 333, but still pronouncing it Ginzu 3 uh, because I don't know what is wrong with me. 
No, basically. and Ginsu, it was originally sort of inspired from Captain, Captain Commando. Commando. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, this is a thing I always got to explain to people. I didn't take the name directly from the knives. That's why Ginsu was spelled with a Z. The, the, the actual knives is spelled with an S. Ginsu knives. But Captain Commando had a character called Ginsu the Ninja, and it's spelled with a Z. And uh, I used to love that. I used to love the Capcom arcade games we were talking about. Yeah, that yeah, earlier. yeah. And that, that game had a really warped sense of humor. So this Ginzu character would come on and just like start slicing people in half and like bodies and torsos going flying across the screen. And when you put a quarter in, it's an O3 Ginzu up in the corner of the screen. And that's where I, for some reason, it made a mental snapshot in my brain. And when I was trying to think of a name, I was like, Ginzu 3 just sounds kind of interesting to me. Yeah, I like that game. It's such a, it's kind of a weird forgotten Capcom Yeah, one fighter, of those right? Capcom, yeah, forgotten classics. Like kind of a final fight, but with the characters are kind of superhero with well, like what, Japanese. Yeah, like one guy is like a baby driving a, like a robot, yeah. which is just <laughs> bananas. It's just right out there, right? So, Perfect. Yeah, this is it's like a port of the arcade game. I know yeah. we could talk video games all day. <laughs> yeah, you're a big Capcom SNK head. Yes, I am. Those are both Osaka companies. Oh. Yeah, I used to live right next to Capcom's headquarters in uh, near Tenmabashi in Osaka. Amazing. An area called Kitahama. So when SNK versus Capcom came out, was were you just like losing your mind? Uh, yeah, a little bit. And you took me to a spot that is in one of those games. It's in SNK versus Shinsekai. Yeah. yeah, Shinsekai is a very famous... Uh, it's bordering a very famous slum, actually, in Japan, Nishinariku. Uh, anyone in Osaka will tell you about Nishinariku. But that area is now a very famous tourist area. And yeah, it was used as a background. Uh, the Tsutenkaku Tower was used as a background. You saw that tower yeah, earlier. Yeah. We were there. Dope. So growing up in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, born and raised... We met in Halifax, probably mid-90s, I think, mid yeah. to late-90s. I was working at Strange Adventures. Yes, sir. You used to come by the comic shop yeah, with that, That's how we linked up yeah, before yeah. there was even Backburner. You and me kind of knew each other yeah. and passing familiarity, yeah. Yeah, that was, like, a cool thing for me, too, like, when Backburner started to form. Like, you know, we knew each other. I knew Jesse, of course, you know, Fess. I knew Process. Like, there was a few dudes that I knew sort of before things yeah. all started coming together in thesis and we've talked about it on previous episodes you know i know heads who follow the podcast probably uh have heard some of that history but i want to talk with you like so starting out in dartmouth what yeah. were your first memories of rapping uh you everything that is ginzu and triplicate you have jesse dangerously to thank for it uh i wasn't gonna do any kind of rap or anything like that until jesse kind of really pushed me into it because me and him have been working together on what at the time was known as the demo scene which was doing instrumental tracks using computers, basically. Yeah, yeah. So I used to cross the bridge and go to, go to his place to work with him on some of the stuff. And uh, he started getting into rapping. And when he started rapping, he started pushing me to rap. And we, got, we started going to shows together in the scene and getting into the scene and getting to meet people. And then we kind of became our own duo. We called the Resurrection Brothers at the time. Right, yeah, Resurrection Brothers. Yeah, and then yeah, like, yeah. Uh, uh, Jess used to uh, do the all-nighter on CKDU. And I used to go up there and co-host it with him. And um, that's just kind of where my whole love of, of the scene came from was through Jesse showing me all this stuff. Because, I mean, he was kind of like a mentor to me. Coming from Dartmouth, I mean, Dartmouth is a very, very different place than Halifax. You know what I mean? And uh, not a lot of people... Uh, I went to the same high school as Tatichi. And, I mean, he was... Not a lot of people know that. And, but he was hanging out with, like, Papa Grand then. And they kind of had their own thing. And they, they were going to Halifax a lot. Yeah, the house town. Yeah. The, Papa Grand was like... It, it, it was hard to get any kind of hip-hop thing going on in Dartmouth because it just wasn't 
what people wanted to hear yeah. over there. And it's changed a lot now, you know. Dartmouth it's changed is a lot. So now. different. Yeah, now, it's, it's a very different place. Yeah, now I remember than it was. Dartmouth as a kid. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, a bit of a different different vibe than Halifax. But yeah, that's how that whole thing started. And then you know, through like '97 to '99, Jesse and me were performing as the Resurrection Brothers. You know, going to all the spots we all went to in Halifax, the, the Kyber Club, the Mocha, you know, whatnot, and just the Marquee. And Jesse also had a band on the go at the same time called Yeshi 13. And I was doing some like kind of terrible turntablism stuff with that. I wasn't really very good at uh, proficient with that stuff yet. Um, but that's the best time to, to learn. Yeah, that's, of course, that is the best time to <laughs> Nobody learn. Nobody starts out amazing. <laughs> half man, half amazing. I'm still working on it, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I haven't quite perfected it yet either. But let me just try to piece together how this So how did you works. meet Jesse, though? Did you guys meet through... We met through an, an online BBS. This is how nerdy we were, dude. Uh, you remember BBSs? Yo, you're talking to... Yeah. Man, you're uh, preaching to the choir. Viacom. Right? Viacom. What's <laughs> Shouts out Viacom. Uh, Dark Depeche. The Crookster, I think, were the sysops of that, of that board. Man, the, ni- the 90s was a... a sick name, man. The 90s was an amazing time for uh, a technology like that, right? Because, I mean, we thought that was the craziest shit you could dial your computer into a phone and talk to people on this this text screen. I mean, that was the future for yeah, us. There were back. video games on there. Yeah, video games. And people exchanged, like, like, beat software and just yeah. all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh, yeah. And that's 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 how Jesse and me got into the whole music production thing was, like, the whole, uh, like, screen tracker scene, uh, using these softwares to create uh, just instrumental music, basically. Um, so Resurrection Brothers, Yeshi 13, you were on the scene. You were coming to Halifax. I know you guys were collaborating a lot. You know Jesse and I. You know I know the story, yes. but I want our listeners to. And Jesse really was coming to, to Dartmouth a lot too. I, I want to point that out. We were both kind of like paying our dues, like taking that long ass bus ride across town or to the other city. Uh, and Jesse used to come over to Dartmouth a lot. We'd work in my parents' basement uh, with four track recordings. Yeah, and then uh, and so you were really dabbling in beat creation, rhyme writing. Yes. And uh, and so then Sendles. What was the the creation of that album like? Well, this is like the Sentinels is always a weird story because what it was supposed to be was a one-off concept record. Because you know how in the like the mid late '90s everyone was doing the concept records, you know, like the Gravediggers and all that, like these one-off records that uh, would just kind of follow a weird trajectory. And I can't quite remember what the line of thought was with the Sentinels, but we all took like different names, but. Ginzu Three was the name I used for the Sentinels, and it wasn't even supposed to be the name that was going to stick with me. And uh, it just did for some reason. But we hooked up with my boy, who, uh, Naked J, who was a really good friend of mine in Dartmouth, and he really wanted to get into this rap shit when he heard what Jesse and me were doing. And he did, surprisingly, every time I met him, he did wear clothes. <laughs> the times you met him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got photos, man. Uh, you shout know, out Naked Jay. Yeah, shout sure. out Naked Jay. Man, my man Jeff. Yeah. Um, yes, but so we went, we had to create a project that he could get on with us, get in on him with us, and uh, so we created this, this one-off EP. Um, I I've been pretty vocal about the fact that I don't think that it's aged very well, and I, I'm not really a big fan of it. We were talking about it the other night. We were uh, kids. I mean, I bought that tape. Probably Sam the Record Man. Yeah, and, it was somewhat Sam the know, Record Man. Yeah. It was like it was amazing that you guys got that tape on there. Yeah, and I mean it was yeah. And it was it was a product. Yeah, we were young. We were I was like eighteen when we I did was it. so impressed when I heard it, man. I always tell you, and I always told well, Jesse. Y- well, like, you know, I do remember at the time, like it actually had got a pretty good reception, and like you know, Buck sixty five played it on like, the treatment or the ba- whatever the treatment or the basement, whatever it was at that time, um, and it got our foot in the door to get on uh, 
bigger venues with the local acts, you know, so we could start playing shows with, like, The Goods or um, Roosevelt Tarba, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Subutones, which we did. We played with all those guys. Shout out all those guys. Yeah, shout out all all these legendary dudes from Halifax, man. Good nights, good nights music, yeah. Yes, good nights music. I I actually have the good nights sampler LP here with me in Japan. I brought it. It's, it's I bought it right out of Gorski's bag. It was his last <sighs> Gorski, copy. man. What an unsung That guy is hero. a monster. Yeah. Just an absolute get beast on, on the beats, man. Word. So the Sentinels, you you're saying yeah, looking this, back on it, it was it was a learning. It was a learning curve, yeah. Um the beats were crazy. The rhyme schemes were nuts. Like it's a hard I, thing I, to I don't find feel too, that I, I hadn't quite found my voice of how I wanted to uh cadence myself on the mic at that point and like anyone listening to it who's listened to like later Ginzu 3 stuff it's kind of like you can listen to early Edan and it sounds totally different than the Edan that you know where he has kind of the big daddy Kane sort of sounding voice but uh it was a way for me to be able to start to be, create the voice that I wanted to have and it would take me a few more years and especially going into Backburner. Backburner is where I found my voice at. Right so yeah let's get into that so how did that start with you guys because you guys brought me in right like jesse really introduced me to to what was becoming backburner but that was after right. big talk had come out um what trying to piece together the timeline here because there was also the no self record that happened kind of after the sentinels but before backburner became a thing yeah because you guys were working on that you were making beats yeah no self and me were going for like a year on that i think a better part of a year some before. in our old apartment yes exactly and i think that's where uh you and me personally started hooking up and yeah th- th- that's because it wasn't just me and no, like Jesse would come by. We would have like these recording. We we had a whole weekend recording session there at one time. And all the dregs would be around. Yeah, all the dregs. People would just <laughs> just rap heads would be around, and we would be recording lyrics in the living room. That was a crazy place when we all oh, lived there, dude, man. Dude, crazy times, crazy. There's seven guys who lived there, and I spent two nights in the drunk tank in in, in six months, I think, <laughs> in that era. So I should tell you how crazy it was. Right? Like well, just yeah, we had like seven guys living there. It was seven bedrooms, but there was always like. At least twice that, just oh, sleeping yeah. on couches. Yeah, and and stair- it was a disaster. Stairwell. Uh, but, you know, we were young and it was fun. It was crazy. And then, like, later on, like, the whole weather mo- modification camp had, like, an apartment just down the street in the same complex. Yeah, it was, like, Smoke Dog. Road. Yeah, that was, Smoke yeah. Dog and those guys, yeah, right? Man. Yeah, and, like... <laughs> yeah, I remember when you guys were working on that record. So you were doing that, and then the backburner Big Talk started coming because not yeah. that long after that i mean i was sort of started bouncing around and i yeah. was moving around and- well jesse see jesse had kind of got in with kills and uh fess and they were doing shows together kind of when i was going with the weather modification camp this is where jesse and me weren't working together so much anymore at this point and uh it just all started to kind of cohese together and then jesse's like yo you should come over to this place and meet this guy it's uh this guy at fess fester uncle fester and, and andrew kilgore and uh, when I met Kilgore and Fest, neither of them had beards. Uh, it was amazing. <laughs> it was a they, long they, they were time fresh ago. little baby face little boys, uh, <laughs> just working on their, in their little studio. Shout out Fresh Kills, Uncle Fest. Yeah, shout the uh, homies. Absolute, like a monsters. Uh, I follow these guys. All still. these years later, we're all still connected, man. Yes, still working man, together. Definitely. It's, it's such an honor. But on the place yeah. on Chibucto Road, they had converted. There was like a closet under the stairs. Um, in this apartment and they had converted it into a sound booth and it was kind of like freaky being it because they had stuffed a bunch of foam in there and they just put you in and like you know your face would be pressed up against the mic because there was no room in there and they just shut the door so you're just kind of like locked in this little room and that's how they used to record vocal. that's how we did Big Talk and uh, 
I don't think Backburner likes to talk about Big Talk anyway. <laughs> is, that, is that what it is now? Like, we don't we don't admit the album exists? No, like, well, Big Talk, I it have was it, really but... hard to get a copy of it. I mean, I've got a copy, and I remember when you guys were working on it, and Jesse had said, you got to get involved in this, and I think I came in just as it had gotten completed. And I remember hearing Destination Minerva. Yeah. And to this day, that beat and you guys are all on. And that's basically a Sentinels. To me, that was I, like. I will new- say that that record, okay, maybe it's a little bit unpolished because of just our, our equipment and skills at the time. It's a good record, though. I'm telling you, it's a really good record. It's a great and they, record. Yeah, Everybody and comes they should re release it. And process, like the Dirt Roads. My were God, doing. The, the thesis, thesis song stuff. on it. Oh, man. Britney Spears is made of wires and gear. Yeah. Like, that shit is amazing, dude. So, big talking, because that predates Basements of Batman 2. Yes. Which then I think Big Talk actually opened the door and that was sort of when Han Solo started saying, oh, okay, yes. Backburner, who are these guys? And then that was when things all started. And Han Solo, of course, Basements of Bad Men 2, put on a bunch of the Backburner crew, uh, myself included. We all got onto that compilation. It all gelled, yeah. And that was sort of the next. So, I, I mean, Big Talk did a lot. Big um, Talk was when Backburner became Backburner. Yeah. Um, but when we were recording it, we weren't calling ourselves Backburner. There was no talk of a, of a conglomerate or anything like that. It was like, oh, the Sentinels are here, so we're going to get the Sentinels on this record. And, oh, here's the Dirt Roads and stuff. It was everyone who was kind of hanging out again on Shabucto yeah. in Kill's studio there. Because, I mean, that's where rap was living in Halifax yeah. at that time, you know, the, the very end of the 90s, turn of the... Everybody was on Shabucto. Yeah. That was, that was crazy when you and think about the, and it. And then I... Don't know if I ever even heard the story about how the backburner name came out. It, obviously, it was about something about putting something on the backburner and someone saying to Kilgore, like, you always say that about this beat or something. And, and it's a backburner studios, yeah. Well, yeah, Kills will, uh, Kills will enlighten us all when he comes on. Um, but we got uh, you here, man. I, I just want to get into a bit more about this. So this era then, mm-hmm. and then you were saying the other night when we were hanging out, because we just rocked a show in Kobe, which right. was oh, boy. dope. So good. Like, thanks again for hooking it up. Oh, dude, shout that, out that, everybody That shit, there. yeah. Shout out to Makeshift and Kobe. Uh, yeah. And shout, out, shout out to you, Bergman. That was a dope show. That was a good time. I had a really good time at that. Thanks, you you really brought some of that, that energy to Kobe, man. I think everyone felt it there. Dope. Yeah, I felt really good about that. And it was really interesting, you know, I was telling you just about, like, communicating, like, stuff like that where there's definitely, definitely a language barrier. But being yeah, able to... Connect and find what the crowd is picking up on. And we like, were saying that uh, before the show, Japanese audiences do like a little bit of talking points between the songs to kind of get to know the performer. And uh, I thought you handled that really well. I was not that I didn't think you'd be able to pull it off, but you pulled it off exceptionally well, actually. Thanks, so. homie. Well, I like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, now that we got this podcast. I know we're like a limited time in the studio. I want to make sure we we cover all the bases. Right. Sentinels, uh, big talk, backburner. Um, so you were saying the other night, though, you, you were kind of thinking there's sort of like three eras of the backburner. Yeah, I always say when I was talking to what's well, Alex uh, doing the interview for his book or whatever, I was saying the original incarnation of backburner is quite different than the one that we have now, which is I call like the Han Solo incarnation of uh, Han Solo. I got to make sure I catch myself on this because when I did the interview with him, I kept calling Han Solo Han Solo. <laughs> I didn't even notice it until like I was listening to the recording of the interview, and I'm like, oh my god, you idiot! Like. I hope nobody hears that. So yeah, I, I feel like the backburner now is like the hand solo backburner, and it's like the fully realized backburner. Where back in you know ninety nine two thousand, when Big Talk came out, it was still more of like a a progressive sort of artsy backburner. You know what I mean? And then, but then there's the middle era, which is defined by the backburner mixtape. Yeah, which is I think where backburner really did find its 
voice going from a more art style rap to a more mainstream consumable style. Uh, and I love listening to that Backburner mixtape because everybody sounds just a little more hungry and a little more hard. It's a lot more kind of a street sound than Backburner is now, where it's more kind of a party vibe type thing. Or uh, uh, not, I wouldn't even go as far as say nerdcore, but like we do like our geek stuff, you know what I mean? Well, we've always been geeks, right? Yeah. It's like, and to be involved in hip hop, I've talked about this many times. I mean, you know, if you're digging for records and samples and like, you gotta be a geek. Writing, yeah. you know, like <laughs> you need everybody. to be able to string a couple sentences together. Like, yeah, everybody's get, gotta we be. We get a geek. nerdy about everything. I mean, everything. So, but I think that was the midpoint uh, where Backburner began to change into, like I said, that kind of sound from the more sort of. You know, you always think back to the end of the 90s. Like, everyone in Halifax was kind of trying to be, like, anti-con. Remember that? You know what I mean? Like, ever, we, we want yeah. to sound like the Sebutones. Well, Buck 65 was really there. Like, him and yeah. 6'2 were on the forefront of that anti-con yeah. movement, right? And we are, Sage and Francis came out. Remember that show? Yeah, yeah. 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 Actually, well, Way before. I, I, I was at 6'2's when uh, him and ADM were there. And uh, I did the beats for No Self Set at that show. I wasn't at the show, and I can't remember why I wasn't there. We watched it at the Drag House. On a, someone had a video of yeah, it. Yeah, I had the video. And I, I, I was, like, just geeking. I was juiced because watching No Self use my beats on stage with, like, Sage Francis there and all that. Um, but I can't remember why I didn't go to that show. I got to find that tape. Do you still have that video? That was on my old camcorder. Man. I bought it for, like, 30 bucks off who some knows, dude in Dartmouth. Who knows what <laughs> skeletons are in my mama's basement back home in Dartmouth. That I, footage will... Uh, you know, we'll because yeah. <laughs> there was some good stuff with you on there too. Uh, just uh, <laughs> uh, uh, some outtake stuff. <laughs> you oh, harassing man. some poor people. Oh uh, uh, no, I was a little, I was a little wild. Oh, uh, we were just all a little wild. Fun. Yeah, it was just it was just, just fun. having laughs, man. But to go back uh, to what you're talking about, like the the anti-con sound, and yeah, when ADM, Sage Francis, and all that came. Uh, yeah, we like definitely me. Anyone who's heard any of my stuff knows that I'm a friggin' weirdo. Like, and I try to do rap that's really strange and weird. And uh, but the backburner mixtape on Big Talk, I was trying to be strange and weird. On backburner mixtape was my attempt to be a little bit more relatable sounding, I guess. And I don't hate it, but it's not the direction I really wanted to go personally myself. Um, and from there is where, like, you know, I went to Japan, so I was just kind of out of the loop for a while with backburner. And then while I was here, all of you guys were just putting in so much work back in Canada, and it just transformed the whole thing into like a movement. And uh, just amazing stuff. That's all I can say. Every time these records would come out, and I was like, "Oh my god, they went and all did all this shit, and it sounds amazing." And I'm not on any of it. No, well, you know, we we love having you. When when there's a Ginsu appearance, like you've been busy as hell, man. Like you're you're on both. You're busy. on we'll the Heat Wave that. and Eclipse and Jesse's records, like Danger Grove and Library Steps, and with Ambies. Yeah, and, and I was real happy to be on both of those 2018 releases. Yeah, that was that was great. Uh, I'm on the Backburner records thanks to you. Because you're the guy who reached out and, and got in touch with me. And, like, you know, we got we got to have Ginsu on this record. We need Ginsu, for yeah. sure. And, and I know Ginsu will be appearing again soon. Oh, oh who told you that? <laughs> what, what, you know Ginsu? <laughs> Gonna introduce me? Your boy Ginsu. My boy Ginsu. Of course, man. Like, well, you know, I've always been a huge fan of your style. And, like, even when, when I first heard you, it was like, this guy, like, your rhyme schemes and, like, your just the, your, your thought process for writing and, and how that materialized on the tracks and, like, your vision and with the oh, beats and you, all man. the creativity. Like, that's what I loved. And, like, you know, yeah, Backburner, maybe we were the kind of weirdos, but we were always... Boy, that's fun to be the weirdos. Yeah, though, and we kind of I mean? did have to start, like... 
we were kind of doing stuff and like all we had all the legends ahead of us in Halifax mm -hmm. hip hop. We and were the we youngest. Just, in everyone kind of left. I remember the yeah. scene just kind of dried up. The diaspora we kind of yeah. left there, swimming through the mud trying to figure and, out and yeah and it felt we like it doing. happened overnight it felt like <laughs> it was yeah, it felt like in, in july you'd go to the kyber on, on tuesday night and like you know all the the groups the sebutones the joe runs the the goods the josh martinez's and then like in august you'd go and it was like crickets like nobody was there like everyone just did a mass exodus out of halifax and we had to move in and fill that spot. And like the first artist that came in that I remember doing it was the Dirt Roads. And uh, cause I remember seeing them at the, uh, at the Kyber. Process and Fess. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I, actually I was joking with Fess about this the other week, uh, off the Profess LP, they got that um, one track that samples uh, Dr. John. I forget the name of the, both the track on the, their EP and the name of the song that they sampled. But uh, when they, they dropped that in the Kyber and like the beat just like, went straight to my chest. I was like, oh my God, this is so dope. Who are these guys? Got to, got to find out what's going on with these guys type of thing. Are they better than me? Are they coming from right? my spot? Yeah. You're Everyone like, you're was. You're like, yo, yeah. who's the next guy coming up? Yeah. All right, well, I'm about like 17 or 18, so I got a year or two to like sharpen my skills yeah. before I can get up to that next level. And then you're like kind of keeping near the street. I mean, it took me a long time to finally get my first album out. Like I felt it took forever. But then by the time it finally happened, it was just like, it was organic. Definitely, um, yeah. But so yeah, so you're working on music here. You, let's talk about Japan, man. You're here in Osaka. How, you've yeah. been out here like 13. I've been years. out here for 13 years. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I've been active in music one way or another since I've been here. Um, when I first came here in whatever 2005 or whatever it was, uh, I was only an English teacher here for a very short time while I was uh, going to school because I went to a language immersion school. And uh, while I was working. As a teacher, I met another teacher named Polyethnic. Shouts out Channel Earth from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, and let me describe Polly's physical uh, presence to you. Like when I, the first time I saw Action Bronson, I figured like maybe they were distant cousins or something because Polly like just looks like Ac Action Bronson speaking with a Brooklyn patois, as you would say, I guess, uh, rather than a Queens one. This is a, this guy is just. A, immense physical presence and he was an awesome rapper awesome freestyler and uh we got to talking it was funny because he was at a party talking about something with company flow and he was like oh but probably most of you people here don't even know what company flow was i was like across the room i was like who said company <laughs> flow no company flow what what up. yeah so like yeah and that just kicked off a whole thing where we started talking it turned out he had come from new york he had a copy of a, a professional studio done record uh, that he wasn't allowed to release because the, the label had taken it back for him because he broke the, like he violated contract by coming to Japan with his wife or something like that. And he was like, yo, we got to bootleg this record and put it out. And this shit had like uh, Eric Krasno on it, uh, Breeze Everflowing, uh, DJ Logic. Oh, dope, yeah. Yeah, so he gave it to me and like I had to get a pair of CDJs. I had to borrow them from a, a club and uh, use it to make like a, a a four song mix mashup of, of the best four songs on it. And then we, we took that shit, ran a bunch of CDs off and then him and me started performing as a DJ MC team. Uh, just going into clubs. This was back when shit was wild. We just go into clubs or we just book shows and just try to get an audience for ourselves and give the, hand out these CDs and be like, yeah, this is polyethnic. At the time he was using the name polyethnic. Now I think he prefers channel earth. But when he was doing this, he was like, yeah, we're not gonna be doing this MC DJ shit for much longer because that's a young man's game. He's like, I want to turn this into a whole 
band. We're going to hire people and make a whole band out of this. And he's like, I'm going to call it the brass knuckle sound system. I can't imitate Paulie's manner of speech, but you have to hear the way he says it because it's absolutely amazing sounding. But he's like, yeah, we're going to make the brass knuckle sound system. We're going to take over this fucking city. And I'm like, okay, let's do this, man. So we ended up uh, putting this whole band together. And I wasn't drumming for this band. I hadn't touched a drum set in a long time at this point. But uh, I was like the turntablist, so I was doing like cuts and scratches and stuff like that. Because this was back when I was DJing a lot too, because I was DJing on the side. So I was still pretty proficient with rec- you know, record manip- vinyl manip- manipulation, I guess you'd say. Um, so yeah, like through 2007 to 2010, like we were just kind of doing this and it was probably like some of the best live shows I've ever done. Paulie was a fantastic human being and a major mentor in my life for like how to manipulate, like what's the word I'm looking for here? How to, how to, uh, go with the flow in the music scene in the music industry and deal with industry types and like, because he was really experienced. He was about a decade older than I was. Um, and just coming from New York, like, you know, it's just how it is. And, like, so we, we like, opened for, like, members of G-Unit, I think. We, we, we would take any show we could. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, I remember, actually, I remember the G. It was Lloyd Banks. And I had just come back from Tokyo. And the night before, I had been out till, like, 6 o'clock in the morning. And Naked J, I, Naked J lived in Tokyo for a while, Jeff. And I woke up in the lobby of his apartment, like, at, like, 9 a.m. and I had a flight at like 10 or something. His like girlfriend was like kicking, like Troy, get up. Like I still have my boots on and my jacket. And she's like, you gotta get back to Osaka. You got a show tonight. I'm like, oh my god. So I was so hungover when I went to the Lloyd Banks show, and I brought like two crates of records, and a, a, a book of CDs because I had CDs. There's no Serato at this point, and uh, we get there and like I'm just like, okay, we're gonna do this set. 30 minutes and then I'll DJ for 30 minutes. I'll spin because it's a huge club we're playing at, right? And then we're gonna get the fuck out of here because I'm gonna hurl, dude. We get there and something happens and like one or two of the other D- like DJs that were opening got kicked up like uh, kicked off the bill, so I ended up having to DJ for like almost three hours I think. Like I used like every record in the bag, like every CD I had, and the whole time awesome. like I'm just holding off like throwing up. Paulie does his opening set. They finish the show. Uh, Lloyd Banks comes on. We go backstage. They're like, oh, here you go, boys. They pull back a curtain. It's a bathtub, a literal bathtub full of liquor. <laughs> I, run right, I, run, yeah, I run right into the bathroom and start just puking. Like, I can't. <laughs> and I come on. Okay, I'm ready for one now. Okay, let's go. Me, <laughs> me and Paulie are loading up all these, like, Jack Daniels into our pockets and our jackets walking out. Like. Nice. So what happened to, the, to that formation? So you guys evolved, I know, because you're in a new group now. Well, uh, unfortunately, like, uh, some personal issues led to Paulie having to go back to the, uh, New York uh, around the end of 2009 or mid-2010. And uh, before he left, we had been working with Evis Beats, and we put out a record with him. It was like Evis Beats meets Channel Earth. It's called Welcome to the Superculture. I produced one track on it, and I did all the cuts. And I think I just uh, gave some samples to use in it or something like that. I forget. I don't have a copy of the record, but Evis Beats is a really kind of legendary underground, like, sub low-key legendary Osaka producer but yeah Paulie had to go back to New York and I was lost for a while after he left because that was our thing like and we'd been doing it for a few years so I decided uh since I thanks to that my name was well known around the city and I was well known as like a kind of a respected DJ or sound selector whichever you want to be so I for about a year I was just kind of bouncing around DJing and then I got a residency at the the original Rodriguez Brothers in uh, Namba Osaka, 
uh, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, but it was kind of a very famous spot. And I used to do a Saturday night residency there, and those years were crazy. It was just mad hip-hop parties every Saturday night. And uh, But after a while, it was like I felt like I needed to start creating stuff again. And I decided I wanted to get back into drumming. So I put it on open call. People, I think I used social media. I was like, who, who in Osaka, Japanese or Gaijin, whatever, can play instruments? Let's get together and see what we can come up with. It doesn't have to be rap-related. It'd be cool if there was a bit of a vibe to it, but we'll see. And we got together 2010, 2011. That band became known as Union Trouble, and we played for six years continuous in Osaka. Um, wasn't a band that I, like, really dug the music too much. I mean, it, it was good for me just to be out playing kind of thing. Um, but I made some good friends. And one of, the, one of the guys in that band is the guitarist and the, the trio I'm in now. So uh, that probably shows. So you're keeping it moving. Always keeping it moving. Always, yeah, always keeping it moving. So for a long time, I was DJing and playing in Union Trouble. And sometimes both at one show. I would DJ before the show, and then Union Trouble would play. And we had a bit of a link into the hip-hop scene. So like we played on stage with the, the legendary Shingo Nishinari. Um, who's a, a rapper from Osaka. Um, a Boston rapper came here, HW. We uh, did a show with him that was half rap and half sort of prog rock. Union Trouble was kind of a prog rock type thing. And then, uh, who was it that came and did a show with him? Oh, Fundament from Toronto. Oh, yeah, Fundament. Yeah. Word up. Yeah, yeah. what's up, Fundament? Yo. Yeah. Very cool guy. Very yeah, cool shout guy. out Fundament, man. Yeah, def definite shouts out. Dope, man. So being in, in Osaka for 13 years, mm -hmm. I'm just amazed when I hear you speak. You're so fluent in Japanese. It's, 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 I told you, you're the, the most fluent Japanese-speaking Canadian I've ever I, met. I, I beg to differ, but thank well, you. As far as I know, it's, it's crazy. Just like, and you turn on, are you, you thinking Japanese now? Or are you thinking in English? And like, how does that work? Um, you know, I remember when, when Les was here, more or less, and I was joking. I was like, if you ever hear people say that, like, uh, they accidentally say a Japanese word when they're not Japanese... That's bullshit. Like, it never happens. But it actually has started happening to me after, like, 13 years. <laughs> I, I will start. <laughs> there you go. I, or I forget the English word and only know the Japanese word. Um, you love it here. I, there's good things about it. <laughs> I love, I mean, Japan, I've been enjoying my stay. I've only been here, like, six days now. Japan's and like, it's like anywhere. I mean, there's, there's really good stuff about it. I, I'm really attracted to the sort of... Uh, the base nature of Japan, where it's a very Buddhist country, a very Shinto country. Um, every holiday here is sort of a reminder that you're going to die. And it's like a, a, a reminder of impermanence and temporary existence. And I don't know, I, I dig that. I can vibe with that. You know what I mean? Uh, and there's sort of a beauty about that. I also find there's a lot of celebration of just happiness and yeah, fun and yeah. stuff that we know. And like everyone here is so positive and yeah. light. Like I've been in a few different cities now and just. I've been encountered with so many, just so much human decency. Human decency, and yeah. Logic, and logic, a lot of logic. Everything <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Well, except for and, the signs in English. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a price. Uh, but no, stuff fits together really well, and like, but I am amazed. There, there's little things like you know, no garbage cans. Like it's really hard to find a garbage can. Yes, because uh, there was a, there was a sarin gas attack in the Tokyo subway in the 1990s, and because of that, there's no garbage cans here. It's interesting. Okay, so and as advanced as this country is the one thing that surprises me though is the smoking you, people smoke in restaurants bars yep. everywhere and like i mean in canada may i know it's still around the world a lot of people smoke you go to europe but 
Canada, maybe we're a little spoiled now. If you want to go to a restaurant, you don't have to deal with secondhand yeah, smoke free. If you're yeah. a non-smoker, that sucks. And right? I think definitely Tokyo is moving in that direction. Um, Osaka has always been resistant to that because they feel, you know, it's our choice, it's our right kind of thing. And if but then again, it's like, yeah, they are forcing other people to breathe secondhand smoke. But that's never been a factor in Japan. They don't really care about that. Which is odd because everything else seems to be focused on making things as good and as smart as possible. But they feel that, like, you know, it's kind of... No I guess offense it kind of to all co- my cigarette it, smoking uh, <laughs> listeners, but... It uh, kind of goes with saying. that wabi-sabi stuff, though. Like, it, it, there has to be a bit of ugliness to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, And sure. uh, they're never really concerned about, like, kids being around secondhand smoke. What Japanese people hate and what, like, well, they have no smoking areas is people throwing butts in the street. That pisses off Japanese people. So they'll, they'll have like no smoking sections out in the streets, but they could give a sh- they couldn't care less if it's up the smoke. They're caring about the butts in the street. Like don't throw your butts in the street. That's just how it is. That's the mindset here kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, no, no PDA. You don't really see people like kissing or hugging and stuff. No, that's, that's very I mean, taboo. I've been trying to kiss and hug you the whole time. <laughs> well, I know, and I keep to... I, <laughs> I think it's the signals I keep putting out by accident that uh, attract you. <laughs> or like no food on the subway. Um, yeah, but in Osaka, I know people, do that. people yeah. do that. My, right. my wife does that. Like we were walking down the street the other day. She was like eating a sandwich, eating a big sandwich. I'm like, hey, you supposed not supposed to do that? Yeah, here. not walking with food. Yeah, she's that's like, what she's I was like, told. Man, what are you gonna do? Food. Like, she gets Osaka. Nobody cares. The like, maybe Tokyo. Convenience store game here is also like. Oh, it's game tight. It's yeah. crazy. <laughs> And, like, the convenience store, everyone has the food is good quality. You can get Relatively, anything you need, yeah. the beer, and then the, like, beer-flavored alcohol that isn't beer, yeah. but it's cheaper and, and hop-o-shoe, tastes the same. Yeah, hop-o-shoe. Sorry, what's it called? Hop-o-shoe. Hop-o-shoe. And yeah. that's just... It's, it's missing a type of barley or something, so it, the import doesn't have to pay this import tax. So it's, like, super cheap. You can get a six-pack for, like, five bucks, I think. Most people wouldn't be able to tell it, the, the difference from beer. It tastes exactly like beer. Yeah, I had some. It tastes, yeah, just like a light beer or something. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Okay, I got to admit that, too. I do like the whole, like, nobody gives a shit about drinking outside here. Uh, I, I do enjoy my booze. <laughs> um, but another thing I noticed, like, you know, yeah, there's a lot of cleanliness in the city. And it may have just been the places that I've been, but I didn't see much homeless. Like, for oh, cities. Oh, this, dude, there's homeless. There's yeah, lots of homeless. Yeah, I know there must be. But, I mean, like, compared to going to, like, New York or Toronto or San Francisco or Montreal, like where it's right in your face. Well, maybe this in afternoon Tokyo, we're going to walk around. Okay, yeah. Tokyo, I think they try to go out of their way to keep it out of your face. Osaka's a bit... Th- you can walk down streets in Osaka where it's like shanty towns of homeless people. There's a huge homeless problem here. But going back to kind of like summarize everything about the streets being clean and the way people treat each other is this concept that they have in Japan of jiko kandi, they call it, which is taking care of oneself. So there's a lot of res- like respect placed on the ability to handle yourself in Japan, which means you go out and get drunk in public, you better handle yourself. Don't get in fights with people. It's on you. Yeah. If you're out eating in public or you have a picnic in the park and you bring a bunch of beer, clean that shit up when you're done. And everyone does. You go to parks in Japan or you go down to the, like the, the harbor side or whatever and have like a picnic for the day. You see all these families go down there and everybody pitches in, cleans up together, takes all their garbage home. And it's just it's this very simple idea. It's that, common sense. Yeah, that's what common I like. sense. And when everyone follows it, the society runs so much smoother. That's what I mean about it being like a, such a futuristic society. Like everything, everyone's polite. They're courteous. They're like, okay, this all makes sense. If we all do this, yeah. it's going to make sense. We if all chip we all in start, and do our part. Yeah. yeah. If we all start acting like whatever, freeloaders and 
et cetera, et cetera, that's when your society is going to start falling apart. Well, that's why when I was listening to about with the, the shutdown in the U.S. right now in the national parks and like the shit was just shut down for like not even a week and already people were in there trashing the national parks and leaving bags of garbage. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, God, if that happened in Japan, like people would just volunteer to be in there cleaning the parks all the time. Nobody would be leaving garbage in there because I hate to use this kind of stereotypical sounding phrase. It's dishonorable. And they place a lot of honor upon that. Yep. It's not cool to be like a flippant like that in Japan. It just looks really lazy. You know what I mean? So I yep. do. I, I like that a lot about the culture. Now that being said, there's shit about Japan that I can't stand either. Which is often this like the country is run by out of touch old men that just need to pass on a torch to a new generation of a younger, more uh, diverse government i think you say that about most governments i think true enough i think japan is particularly out of touch though uh abe is just kind of i don't know what that guy's doing what do you miss about canada i oh geez i miss a lot about canada dude like just it's a society it's hard to really say like what's the particular thing you miss about canada it's just like you miss canada you miss i miss being able to sit and have conversations like this with someone who i've known for over a decade almost two decades I think yeah man I mean, two decades I mean? dude it's been 20 and like, years how, how natural it feels to sit down and talk yeah. uh you know all the friends i have in japan i've only like you you have short-term friends in japan because not very many people stay as long as i stay and the people that do stay this long are maybe not people that i want to be friends with kind of thing you know what i mean so i uh, these days, like most of my very close friends are Japanese or not Canadian. Let's put it that way. Um, so I do miss just kind of being immersed, uh, particularly also in the hip hop scene too, uh, being able to talk rap, talk shop with people. Um, you know, well, you met George the other night from my band Bravo Maneuver. Yeah, from and, New York. Yeah, yeah and he, he's he got a really good knowledge of that stuff. So he's yeah, actually cool wa- watch. Shout yeah. out George. Yeah, shouts out George. Georgie Porgy. Um, actually, watching you guys talk and pass off that knowledge to each other was kind of really entertaining. Yeah, he had a lot of great stories in New York. Yeah, and you, really and you had a, you had a lot of good stories to kind of counter him with. And I, I, he really he was telling me uh, yesterday he was really enjoying that conversation with you. Um, but yeah, I just I just miss that. I miss uh, kind of being with my people, kind of thing. And uh, but like. You got to remember after 13 years and the fact that I have like a wife and two children here, like Japan kind of is home for me now. Some aspects of Canada seem sort of foreign to me. Um, you're always going to miss where you're from. Always going to miss where you're and from. you've got an incredible thing going on here. You know, you're active. I've, you're I've got it, the yeah, music. I've got you it got set up pretty people. good here. Yeah. And like the fact that I, at my age, I'm still able to get out and play. Like, I shouldn't say that. Like, not like I'm an old man or nothing. I was still able to get out. Like, I'm just saying I've been able to steadily play music for the last still going strong now and there's no end in sight yeah in fact there just seems to be like more stuff coming kind of thing oh i'm trying to be a hundred year old rapper That's exactly right yeah. like why not why not like who made up this rule that we got to sit down once we're 60 you know what yeah I mean? you know like the rock stars are, it's funny like the, the, yeah. the that mentality of like because you rap if you're like over 25 you shouldn't be rapping anymore like yeah. that's crazy it's crazy it's complete horseshit like no nah, man rap you, you don't say that to Neil Young or something, right? Exactly. You don't say <laughs> the to, Rolling to make, Stones. Yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. Someone tell the Rolling Stones to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> right. So when you get back to Dartmouth, what's like the first thing you want to do? Oh man, you know what I usually do when I come back is I just take either a walk or a drive around and just so I go back to my old neighborhoods and I just yeah. soak it in. I go back to every neighborhood that I lived in which were several uh, in Dartmouth and Halifax. I'll usually go over to Dartmouth to like the Caledonia Road area, Churchill and Kennedy and all that, and just walk around and just breathe that in because it's so different than here, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. 
and then I'll go to Halifax and I'll go to the north end to the south end and, and downtown. It's and changed just, so much. Like, as much as yeah, it changes, changes though, it's still the same. Like, you can still find those. I'm the same way. I would go back there and I just kind of want to go and I can see the ghosts of, like, previous. So you, yes. You see a building you're like, I remember when this was, like, whatever. This used to be this cafe or this used to be yeah. this little convenience store. Oh, dude, I'll walk by the Kyber. And it just yeah. makes me feel some type of way, you know what I mean? Just looking yeah. at that, like thinking of all those nights we had, you know what I mean? I'm so thankful Kyber's still there. Yeah, right? right? I found out not too long ago that Kyber actually used to be an organic, uh, it was like an organic grocery store in the 70s. Wow. I met someone whose mom used to work there, and she was telling me all about like how she used to, it was like, yeah, you'd go there for organic food. If you were in Halifax in the 70s and wanted organic food, you went to the Kyber building. Amazing. Yeah, like I, I obviously we knew it as an art space and music. Yeah, and just, Center for the Arts. Is yeah, all I ever so knew much it was. great stuff. Joe Run had a great studio there. Yeah, he Actually, remember, I think yeah, we made yeah. a video in that in Joe's old spot. Yeah, the one upstairs. That right? same summer as the Sage Francis. I'm now like remembering that. Uh, oh, Joe, I remember we were all up there when there was some kind of party going on. Yeah, up there. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like mixing beats like live up there or something. And Fess was there. Fess I think that's there. actually the first time I met Fess. That might have been the night that, like, the Dirt Roads had a show and then, like, downstairs in the Kyber and then Joe Run was there. Because in that era, like, it wasn't super common for Joe Run to be doing shows at the Kyber. Yeah. And, like, there was that one time it was, like, the Dirt Roads. I might be making this whole thing up right now, but, like, and then Joe Run, it was there with, like, maybe the Ground Squad yeah. or, or whatever, whoever that group was calling themselves the Ground I, I'm kind of not 100% sure exactly who was in the Well, there's ground been so squad. many groups through. Yeah. yeah, Ground Squad was, yeah, uh, like, classified a whole bunch of those dudes uh were involved with that so i remember seeing at the mar a, gr a group a, f a version of grand squad at the marquee that didn't have classified i know it didn't have classified yeah they were dope man a lot of banging beats and uh, yeah yeah well, good flows every and stuff. joe run everything that was, was coming out of halifax beat. in that era was good you know and still today still right is. there's still so much dope stuff there you know shout out everybody rocking it uh, yeah, coast man. to coast you know yeah atlantic to pacific oh shouts out ghetto socks nova scotia to, socks. to osaka yeah socks yeah. Socks been out here a few times. Yeah, we've Les, had a lot of good times. Yeah. Yeah, Les has been out. We did a we did a little thing. Yeah, uptown New Meta. We did a DJ MC thing. Nice. And, uh, I just I know we're on the clock here in the studio. They've got yeah. us for a tight uh a tight like forty five to sixty. So how are we doing? Oh, we good uh for another ten minutes or so, but I'm worried about no, that should be all right. Yeah, the CD. I'm just worried about it running out of space. For the listeners at home, we're doing kind of an old school recording to a CD. Yeah, we're recording to a CD. Like and a by CDR. the time this gets into your ears, it will be converted. And I'll explain. I, I wish this intro. was a call-in show. Some someone could call in and tell me exactly how long you can record to a CD. I think it's one hour, but it might, <laughs> it might be 74 minutes. Maybe we got a 74-minute disc. Yeah, maybe one of those eighty-minute discs. One of those magical <laughs> eighty-minute discs. If we cut off yeah. in the middle of this conversation, then you'll know. You know which why? One we had. You know why? Yeah. So yeah, you got the band. So the band's going now. So you and George are doing. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Let's let's go back to the. I didn't really finish that history off. So uh, I ended Union Trouble. I just kind of had enough of it, and I we all split up amicably. And then I got into a different trio uh, called Ill Will, spelled I L W L, and that was a straight up hardcore. Uh, NYC hardcore band, but it couldn't for a couple of reasons. It just wouldn't wasn't going to work out. So George was in this guy uh, L W George. Uh, he's a guitarist, a songwriter, and a singer. Uh, like you said, from New York, um, and he likes like a lot. He like he loves hip hop, but he also likes kind of like uh, punk. He's into punk and heavy. No, I wouldn't even say heavy metal so much. So him and me started doing this sort of tenacious D thing where uh, the two of us would just start touring around. We, we were playing big live houses, just the two of us, a guitar, a drum set, and him. 
And uh, we'd had a thing. We did like a hip hop beat melody and stuff like that. It was pretty cool. And then uh, the bassist from Union Trouble, who's always been a good friend of mine, he started kind of coming out to shows. And we're like, yo, you know what? Why don't we make this a trio again? And uh, we don't have a bass. He plays the uh, baritone guitar. Uh, sorry, George plays baritone guitar. And David Dee Dee plays bass. And we just, we call ourselves a dad punk band. But uh, it's sort of a weird experimental, very kind of hard sound. But melodic, listenable, you know what I mean? So we'll have to get a sample for this. Yeah, well, we just finished recording an EP. So we're going to have, we, we did a, an EP direct to a tape four track. It was amazing experience to be able to do that again. So that should be coming out hopefully within the next couple months. And I'm going to be kind of getting back into doing some hip-hop, too. So we'll Everybody see. Everybody wants you, man. The mysterious Ginsu. Everyone's like, yo, where's Ginsu? Hey, there ain't, no, mysteri- there ain't no mystery to me. They least expect you, man. Poof. <laughs> Out of all your tracks, like, is there one track in particular that you look back on and you're like, this sort of defines what I was trying to do? Or were there any, like, I know you've got so many dope tracks out there, but... Ducks Unlimited is one of my favorite tracks I ever did, even though the beat is kind of stale. Uh, it's the track where I think I definitely found my voice, how I want it to sound. Um, some of the tracks I did after I came to Japan, um, Stando is my favorite, and those are all on my SoundCloud, like stuff like Pulpit, um, Fast Second, uh, Bite the Hand That Feeds, which was off a project called Binary 69, which I abandoned to do the No Self record. Um, people don't realize I had a lot of songs that just never got a chance to come out. Yeah, I think I've got a bootleg CD of like 20 tracks by you. Yeah, I think a lot of that was the Binary 69 record. Yeah. And then there was another one I started called The Things of Nature, I think it was called. Um, did uh, you ever compile it all and put together like, you know, pick your like top 10 or 12? I did. It's on my, there's a, not my active SoundCloud. There's a SoundCloud page called like the Ginzu and Triplicate Archive or something. And it's like all these like kind of, mixed down as best as we could get them sounding, just throwing it out there just to have it as a legacy type thing. Man, I think you're overdue for like a nice like, you know, remaster some of those old tracks, you know, nah, you dust know what? them off. You know what? They've been dusted off and they've been, they're, they're sounding as good as they're going to sound now because a lot of this shit was done back in the 90s. And uh, if I'm going to put time into doing something, I'm going to do something new. Do something new. Yeah, it's well, it's time know, to... Cybo's album finally came out, that solo Cybo, Shadow Cybo. Yeah, shout, shouts out Cybo. Um... That's dope. I got I to gotta hear that. Yeah, you got to get that. Yeah, I know. It finally came out, the Cybo Solo. I, I think I, like, have a line about it on something. It's like, go buy your Cybo Solo. And then it took, like, 15 years for 15 that 15 years out. later. Well, I, I was going to say, if I do a Ginzu and Triplicate record, it's like the record that was 20 years in the making. Is finally, <laughs> so I got, like, I got a lot to live up to here, bro. Like, <laughs> Yeah, man. I, I was toying with doing an EP, um, but I got to finish some stuff off for a certain producer who I think is ready to like freeze me in carbonite and hang me on a wall if I don't get it to him soon because he's, we've been doing this back and forth for so long. And I, I keep telling him, like, yeah, next month you're going to have it. Next month you're going to have it. Dude, I got a four-year-old and a toddler. Like, <laughs> Time has no meaning for me. I, I can't get into the studio whenever I want to. So like six months goes by and he messages me like, yo, man, I gave you that beat like a decade ago. Come on. Uh, I got to get that to him by like end of February tops. I got to get that verse to him. Goals, 2019 goals. Yeah. Well, I set goals at the beginning of 2018 with Jesse, you know, the library steps. And then, of course, with that uh, that amazing uh, remix that was done on Danger Grove of uh, Obelix, I think the song is called. About yeah, what's alcoholism. that song about? That song is about alcoholism and uh, 
self-medicating depression with alcoholism, um, which was a track that I had originally had given him for a different project, and I told him to take it off the project because at the time I hadn't quite gotten over that phase of my life myself, and I felt a little bit vulnerable putting it out on a record because um, it's a very, very personal track. Uh, but I, it's phrased in a very vague way, um, but I think if you know that that's what it's talking about and go back and listen to it, it you, it'll hit you pretty hard what it's talking about. Um, and I was never really going to release it until uh, Lizard Grove, well, Jesse sent me Lizard Grove's like, a beat she had done for it. And like, I was like floored by this beat when I heard it. I was like, oh my God, I was, like, give it to her, dude, give it to her. Uh, put this freaking thing out. And then he's like, uh, it's coming out on vinyl. I'm like, holy shit, dude, <laughs> like, that's amazing. That's, like, it's probably one of the favorite, uh, my favorite tracks I've ever been on type of thing. And that's coming from a, a song that I didn't even want to put out. You know what I mean? But I think my era of the serious stuff is going to go on pause for, but I kind of want to go back to the lighthearted stuff again. I was talking to Jesse about this. Like, that's the rap I like doing is the weirdo shit. That's just kooky, funny, stupid, you know? Eat spaghetti on the train type shit. Like, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> Eat a bowl of spaghetti on the train out of a porcelain, uh, porcelain bowl type of thing. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just, I like kooky. I like weirdo shit. And uh, I want to come back. Like, if I'm going to come back with Backburner, I'm going to bring back some of this kooky Ginzu shit, you know, because uh, Danger Grove was some heavy, heavy shit. And uh, Library Steps was some heavy, heavy shit, like talking about, oh, about ref dead children, refugee children and shit. I mean, that stuff, that was stuff that really affected me in real life. Like, I was emotional about that shit, and I was really letting some steam go off in that verse, you know? Well, I mean? yeah, man, good cause. Yeah. But yeah, man, I, I'm telling you, uh, 2019, I think we're going to see some good things happening. I'm excited, man. I can feel the energy coming off you. This has been just amazing. And thank you well, for it's, being such it's, an it's, incredible guy. Being guide, around man. you the last couple of days is making the energy come off of me because, like, that show was so fucking bananas the other night, right? Like, I, I'm still hype off of that shit. Like, yo, me too, man. Well, we're going to keep celebrating. We're going to go through the streets of Osaka. Yes, sir. Get some yakitori. Yes, sir. Some gyoza. Yes, sir. Maybe a bowl of ramen. Some hapochu. Yeah, but those fish. Hapo what are the fish called? The little fishies? What, what, the what taiyaki? Fish? Oh, taiyaki, yeah, the yeah. little, the little like fish cakes. cookies with, like, yeah. a cream inside them. Yeah, the, they call it shoe cream. Yo, <laughs> uh, probably uh, check out some more retro video games. And yeah, go back to Den Den Town and check out some video games. Try and avoid buying every Super Famicom game I see. <laughs> <laughs> or, every, or every Super Famicom itself yeah. that you see. Yeah, I, I'm trying not to blow 300 bucks on a Neo Geo, on a Neo Geo right now, so. I know. It's like, I don't need to eat today. Let's, I can let's go have a few day. beers and go back to Den Den Town and see what kind of trouble we can get ourselves into. Yo, sounds amazing. Ginsu, thanks so much for coming through. Um, dude, we made this happen. Yo, dude, thanks so much for just coming here and uh, making this fucking awesome time we're having. And, uh, shouts out to all the Backburner family. Shouts out to Halifax. Shouts out to uh, Low Pressure Records. Shouts out to Goodnight Musics. Uh, shouts out to my man Paul the Ethnic in New York, Channel Earth. What's up? Hope to see you soon, baby. Okay. Uh, are we out of here? We're out of here. Peace. Right. Peace. Weekend at Bergie's special tour edition, Osaka, January 2019. Let's play a little Ginsu to take us out. You know, I guess the neighborhood I live in is just about my favorite place in the whole world. Sometimes I think of all the faraway places I'd like to visit. But after I was done with my traveling and exploring, I know I'd always want to come right back here to the neighborhood where I live. Nothing more than basicness.
necessity, blessed be the test of any enemy from Sesame Street to the wreck of the Hesperus. Our lessons in your desperate, measured on acoustic lyre, resurrect Lazarus and spit on the crucifier. Nothing more than what's seen, I be nothing more than sordid details. Read the future via animal entrails, mechanical women want bioengineered fins and fish tails. I'm not acting, just pretending the facts aren't exacting. The truth of this rap thing, I'm packing suitcases, perhaps mismatched like two races dating in a pre 1960 situation. It raises stereotypical attitudes, very reciprocal mass disapproval turns to mass appeal. While my technology fucks your bulk nanoprobes to create what no man knows is shiver when I turn up like throats of the liver diagnosis. And your juxtaposition is merely Webster's grade school fifth edition. Defiled races encrypted with vile faces and proud stasis couldn't chase the style through the aisles of space. It's schizophrenic textbooks and dark places. On my neck, talk you'll save with the horn of Angel Gabriel. Back to basics, I rule skies like Scientology. If you follow me in song, we swear that all we're here to do is steal your pacifist idealism. Mass appeal doesn't matter when we pattern MCs inside rock now there she goes again, farewell to Nova Scotia and I tell you back home is where I left my heart that she was holding when I rolled the boat over the ocean into Asia shouting that I'll never come back here again, maybe later. And I know I made a major decision and I was wishing to get myself lost when I was found to begin with and now I find myself drinking my misery. Listen, back home is where I got that peace that I'm missing. Uh. And even though these foreign streets is familiar to back home is where that missing piece is sitting waiting for me. Where the boys used to lamp on the stoop and drink Back home Everything is how it looks and what you think And now I'm sitting broken hearted karaoke Shooting sake eating sushi with some cutie Asian lady Hoopty fiending for the mashed potatoes Dreaming of some turkey's gravy Drunk businessmen singing village peoples in the navy Wonder how my home slice is holding out He said he'd slide over but the bastard is broke as hell My moms they called me in three weeks All I can do is sit home alone on the weeknights and drink tea leaves Back home with the front yards and garages Not tiny ass apartments the size of a closet 40 ounce plus size bottles of piss Back home where they make the urban music like this This has been a presentation of the Modern Superior Media Network